Well, let me just uh, say that the church and school are, are in the midst of a feasibility study, and uh, we'll be having our second uh, meeting uh, this coming uh, Tuesday evening. And uh, it's comprised of people from the school, people from the church, people from the community. And uh, we are gathering together and uh, we are uh, articulating what we are and then uh, how to present what we're gonna do uh, and what we're doing and what we're going to do down the road. And we're looking at a new facility. And uh, I'm believing God for great things. Uh, I know that we've come into the year Jubilee. Now I view this as the year Jubilee. Some have differing ideas. Some said last year was Jubilee, but if you take 49 and divide it in Hebraic year, you'll come out with an even number. And so 49 years and the 50th year is a Jubilee. And we know that the next 50 years begins, you know, when uh, at the end of that 49th year, that 49th year, and we step into 50 year, the 50 year begins in that 49th and starts the next 50. It sounds a little confusing, but that's how you figure out the even number of a uh, of uh, where we're at by divided into the Hebraic year uh, and coming up with that. You know that we now have, when you go into the 49th, divided into the 5782, you come out with, with so many jubilees, then you know the next one is the 50th year. And so at Rosh Hashanah, we just now slid into a year of jubilee. A year of jubilee is a time of tremendous blessing uh, if you want to say financially, uh, with families and the like. It changes everything of what the last 50 years has gotten wrong. Everything that has been out of whack, everything that has gotten too far, uh, indebtedness, bondage, slavery, all that changes when you come into the year of Jubilee. And that means that if there are things that's been shackled over your family, stand up, start proclaiming, this is the year of Jubilee because the Lord has set me free. This is the time, it is a Mohadim time, it is a time when God comes very close to his people and things begin to happen. So the Lord really positioned my heart and I said, is this the timing for that? Because I also know, we talked about the, the new year Rosh Hashanah when it began uh, just a few weeks ago and then we moved into Yom Kippur 10 days later, which was days of awe, which is the time you really get everything right with God. You're already into 5783 on Rosh Hashanah. It's a new year, but God allows us 10 more days to declare what your next 12 months are going to be and how it's going to turn out. And everything is decided during that 10-day period. Now, the Western church doesn't know that doesn't fully understand that. But for the next 12 months, I've made a decree before the Lord for me and my house, what's going to happen, and for this house here, what's going to happen. And so what we see is, is that there's tremendous change that God positions his people in. And there's many people that are not going to go with that because they just don't understand that. But let me just say, God is raising up a people that have an ear for the Lord that can hear what he's saying and can move forward in that. So we've come through Yom Kippur. And uh, now, right after, five days after Yom Kippur, we start up with the Feast of Tabernacles. And now today, we're on the eve of Feast of Tabernacles. And it's a very important time. And you say, well, what is that? Well, there were three primary feasts. There was the Passover, which we celebrate around Easter, what Western church calls Easter. We call it Passover. 
and its celebration of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus, the last sacrificial lamb that was slain, and the shedding of his blood for the remission of sins. It's in the springtime when that happens, when the new lambs are being born, when the priests are out there gathering thousands and thousands of these young lamb that are going to be sacrificed in the, under the old system. But Christ came and fulfilled all that, so there's technically not a need to do that anymore. And Jesus became that sacrificial lamb in the springtime when they normally bring those young ones in and sacrifice them. Then they go for those that do not have any blemish or anything and they bring that and put that blood. Uh, and, the, and that's when on the Day of Atonement, the high priest goes in uh, and applies the blood to the mercy seat. Jesus has already applied the blood to the mercy seat when he was shed, uh, or excuse me, when he was crucified and died. We found out in taking the scripture apart that somewhere in the time of him having gone through and resurrected that thereafter, sometime it could have happened that very day that he went to heaven, put his blood on the mercy seat, came back and then began to, to see other people because there is a point in time, we're not exactly sure when the timing of that occurred, but it's not necessarily taught that Jesus, when he died and resurrected, that he ascended first. He said, now don't touch me because I haven't ascended. But later on, we find out that when he goes to the disciples, he allows them to touch him. So between, you know, right after his resurrection and then showing up at the disciples' house, that uh, there was a change because you can't touch me, you can't defile me until I've taken my blood before the Father and put it upon the mercy seat. So somewhere in, in the mix of all that, Jesus went, already went into the heavens and put his blood on the mercy seat before God Almighty, Yahweh, or Yahweh, and he, he has put his blood there and G God recognizes that. And then God looks down through that blood at every one of you and sees you perfectly clean and whole. All sins have been unraveled and taken away, haven't been just an atonement given for them, which means just a covering. But when God looks at it, what Jesus did with his blood, it totally wipes away out all the stuff of the past, all the iniquity, all the sin that you've ever done, uh, and, and everything that you've gotten involved with. And how many of you here has ever messed up in your lifetime? Everybody's hand goes up on that one. Under God, in God, all those things have been removed, and, and uh, it has, with his blood, been taken away and it just is not remembered anymore and so that's a that's a great thing let me say something else as we transition into this time we're on the eve of feast of tabernacles we got a seven to an eight day period for that to occur we're now coming to the evening of that we began last Sunday with Feast of Tabernacles, and now we're concluding with that. You know, there's many people, our webmaster uh, who lives up in the Festus area, and I get on the phone with him, and he says, uh, I'll have uh, uh, my, the website, when we're changing our website and, and, and bringing it up uh, to a new uh, place, and it's going to be different in many respects, uh, and it's going to reflect our goals and purpose and our directions and the like. He uh, said, now get your stuff in to me before Wednesday because I've, I've taken part of this week. I had to work and get things done. But he says, I'm going to go to Oklahoma and I'm going to go to a Feast of Tabernacles event in Oklahoma. And they spend the whole week there uh, in the Sukkahs. Uh, and it, a Sukkah is a booth. It is a temporary booth that's put up. Guys, if you got that picture back there, you can just put a simple representation up. Do you have one back there? There we go. A booth. And so today, 
many people go on Amazon and buy a tent or go to Walmart and buy a tent and go out and put a tent up and they live in that tent all the seven days and they worship God and they get out and their focus is upon celebration and eating together. And many people have evening meals uh, under the, uh, the, the Sukkot, uh, Sukkot uh, and uh, the temporary tabernacle. And we see this done everywhere. And, and he said, well, you're going to have to be able to get part of the one that he went to. You've got to well in advance, you know, put your reservation in, he says, because they're all filled up. Many, many groups are doing that this week. Many, many groups are going out, and it's a great time. The weather is just right for this kind of camping out during this time. Basically, the Feast of Tabernacles is like our Thanksgiving. Everybody knows what Thanksgiving is? And so the Feast of Tabernacles is like our Thanksgiving. And uh, we give God thanks. Uh, the end of the season, the growing season, has come to an end. Uh, we're thanking God for all that He's done. So in Feast of Tabernacles, I'm thanking God for all the blessings that He has bestowed upon me. Going back several days to Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, and those 10 days that precede that, I made and we made declarations about what this next 12 months are going to be. And we have declared that over our lives and over our families. And uh, I've got some other things to say more in line with your families uh, this morning. But uh, these were temporary booze that we see in the Feast of Tabernacles, and I just wanted to kind of give you an insight to that. Today I want to talk about being guided by divine revelation. And uh, I want to give some clarity to that. And my core scripture is Psalms 109, 16 through 19. Excuse me, uh, Psalms 105, 16 through 19. It's a very, very interesting verse because I'm going to take it apart, give you the Hebrew names, words of a couple of words that are given to us in that context. But let me read it first and then let me begin to talk to you about that. Moreover, he, which is referencing Joseph, called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provisions of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Now, it's a very interesting passage because that word in there, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. It sounds like it's, he's given us a word or given him a word, but then that word tested him. I don't fully understand, maybe on the front end. And most people wouldn't pick up on this other than that when you turn around and go back and look at the word, those two uh, words, word, W-O-R-D, have different meanings. And so the, the word, uh, the first word, until the time that his word is debar in Hebrew, came to pass, the imra word of the Lord tested him. So we have debar word and we got imra word that, that comes and tests him. Now, give you a little bit of clarity on that. Uh, debar means speech, word speaking. Uh, when a word is given, it's spoken out and shared. But that word, Imra word, which was the second word, the word of the Lord tested him. That particular Imra word is the literal word of God. It can be seen as the word of God. And in an Old Testament context, it's viewed as the Torah. The Torah was the spoken word given to Moses. With the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, are viewed as God's holy word spoken by the mouth of God. And so what we've got is until that time of Debar came, or that word that was spoken, the Imra word of the Lord tested him. 
So you knew what happened with Joseph, all the things he went through. You know, his brother sold him out, put him into slavery. He's in prison uh, several times in a pit, uh, brought out of the pit, went through great difficulty, but it never changed the word of the Lord that was assigned over him. It never changed the, the, what the word of God says about Joseph. Now, he could have had a word come to him and, and did, spoke to his heart. You know, uh, he had, was a dream interpreter. He made statements about that to other people. But what we're seeing here is there is a difference in how God works with us. He gives you a word. He speaks to you. And then we pick this up in the New Testament. It says, Paul says, that everybody should be prophesying. You should desire to prophesy. And so we see in the context of exhortation, comfort, and edification that people are to speak and share in the body of Christ. And let me say, it is essential you're connected to the body of Christ. You will die on the vine spiritually if you don't understand the need of the, the sinew exchange that happens in the body of Christ. Can you say amen? amen. We, there is a need for us to, to bind together. Why? So that you can hear clearly what the Lord of the uh, uh, word of the Lord says. The emra of the word or the spoken word over you says in your life. So the debar is going to be exchanged. That debar word is going to be exchanged when we get together. And when I get around uh, people, there are things that well up in my spirit that I say. Uh, words of comfort, edification, exhortation. And they can be, you can put thus saith the Lord to it, or you can just put another vernacular to it. But say, let me just encourage you and tell you that, that this, I, I, since you've been going through great difficulty, well, that's over. You know, and you can share a word like that. That is a debar kind of word that is referenced here in Psalms. But then there are other kinds of words that are emphatically literal words of God. As like the Torah, as like when Jesus spoke, a literal word that is spoken, and you can't change that. It is always the same. It doesn't change. But it is applied to our life. How many of you all know that thou shalt not kill? How many of you all know that the Bible says thou shalt not kill? We've heard of the rabbis going out and blessing the military men because they don't believe that when they're blessed by the rabbi, that when they go out and they actually kill somebody, that they're, they're violating that, that part of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. They believe they're going out there for the sake of a nation and protecting, and they're doing God's will by that, so they get the blessings of the rabbi. Amen. It takes it out of the murder context. And there's different kinds. The Bible is, is clear about it. It talks about uh, murder. It talks about manslaughter. And it makes a distinction between the two. And there's always this intent in people, which today our laws reflect the same thing. The level of intent, the kind of intent that towards uh, a murder determines whether it's going to be murder or whether it's going to be a, a, a manslaughter or involuntary manslaughter. And so it depends on the person what they're thinking at the time. Their mind might not be totally on it, and it was an accident. Then it could be voluntary or involuntary manslaughter. But in a broad sense, a, a killing has occurred. So the Bible gives us clarity on these things. The Bible is very, very specific on many things. Now, let me give you a couple examples here. Again, in Psalms 12:6 about Imra. The words Imra of the Lord are pure words... Uh, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And then in Psalms 18.30, it says, As for God, His way is perfect. 
the, the Imra word of God of the Lord is proven or refined. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. So what we see is, is that the Imra word, the literal word of God, when it's given, when it's given to us, when we read about it, when it's in the book, when Jesus is talking, delivers a very clear word that establishes truth all around, that is an Imra type of word. And we see that that kind of word is a pure uh, word. It's been tried. It's been refined seven times, just like silver when they, they run it through the process of heating it up seven times and all the impurities come off. It is the purest form of the word of God. And then we find out that that Imra word is, again, there in Psalms 1830, proven or it has been refined, signifying that it is the purest of the purest kinds of words that are given. So when God wants to talk to you, sometimes He'll use circumstances, sometimes He'll use storms, sometimes He'll use events to get your attention. But none of those, in a real sense, are, is the Imra word of God. Let me ask you this, does the Bible, will the Bible test you? Do you test the Bible or does the Bible test you? Many times people are looking to test a word uh, that they have that, of God's word and they test it in life. But when in fact we need to line our life up with the word and let life test the word. Uh, in a sense, we've got it backwards many times. We go out there to validate what an Imra word is when God says this is what my word is spoken about. Now, it sounds a little bit uh, convoluted, but let me just say this. When he says, thou shalt not kill, absolutely, I know I can't. So it governs everything in the world. Everything in life has to line up with it. Would you agree? Amen. You should not have any other gods before me. Okay, that's an emphatic word. You cannot change that. And, and, and what we have to do is all of our life and all of our circumstances is not there to test that word, whether we should have any gods before us or not. But that, that word is emphatically the standard, and we have to look into our life, and our life has to measure up to that standard. Would you agree? And so when we see there are words that are Imra words that we have to focus on and make them extremely important uh, as the standard. The Bible is the standard. His literal Imra word is the standard in all situations. And so let me give you a, a living standard rendering of Psalms 105 verse 19. Until the time to, came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. When the Lord gives you a word to you, gives you a, a debar word to you, that word will be tested by the Imra word. So that when God delivers a word to you or you receive a word or you've received a prophetic word, until it comes to fruition, until it comes to manifestation, until it comes to its completeness, you're going to be tested. The Jewish Complete Jewish Bible renders that same verse like this. Until the time when his word proved true, God's utterance kept testing him. So these are differing words of what happens. And people say, why in the world do I go through testing? Why do I go through challenges? How many of you all remember Paul? Paul went through great difficulty. He, he was tested for the word that God put within his heart. Uh, just give an example. He was in prison repeatedly. Put into prison. He was flogged. He was exposed to death again and again. He received 39 lashes five times. 
beaten with rods three times, pelted with stones, shipwrecked three times. And last Sunday we talked about the shipwreck event. Let me say this. Do you think Paul had a word of God that he got on the Damascus road? He had an experience, he had a conversion, but also what settled down into him was he became a new person and that what was driving him was the word, the Imra word that had been deposited down into him that from there on he was going to serve God. He was the greatest persecutor, persecutor of Christians that was out there. He, it was even, some say that he was even known to help assist or uh, sanction whatever skinning of Christians. He was extremely vile and murderous man as such, but God totally changed him and he got an Emra word that changed who he was and his whole future. But it did not mean that Paul was not going to go through difficulty, and he did. Last Sunday we talked about a word that he got when he got on the ship. Paul has been in prison, he's been arrested, and he's been put on this ship. It's a prison boat. And all there, there's 260 people on this boat, and he's been shackled up as a prisoner. But he just, in his unique way, began to declare what he felt was going to happen. He says, at the beginning of the journey on the seas, he says, I've got a real strange feeling about all this. Let me just tell you, I think what's going to happen is this ship is going to be lost, all the cargo is going to be lost, and all the lives are going to be lost. The centurion over here heard what he had to say, and the centurion yielded to the helmsman instead of the words of Paul. He says, helmsman, what do you think? The helmsman said, hey, it's calm skies, uh, seas are calm, let's go ahead and go. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's exactly what happened uh, as they began to move out on that ship. When they got into that particular place that the storm had come, and it, it was a bad storm, it was of a hurricane status kind of storm that was going about that... Uh, uh, people were scared. Okay, we're start, let's throw these stuff off because it looks like the ship is going to sink. It's going to crash and we're going to hit the rocks. We tried to put the skiff out there and, it, and, and the rudder back there is getting tore up. And Paul says, wait, 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 listen. And he's given a word, but he changes the word. He changes the word. He says the ship's going to be lost. It's going to be destroyed, but there will not be one life lost on this ship. Whereas in the beginning, he says, there's going to be loss of life. When he gets in it, and that was a Debar word that he got, a, a conscious rendering of something that was going to happen that the Spirit of the Lord was speaking to him. When he stood up before everybody on the ship and the centurion finally uh, you know, focused his attention upon Paul, he realized what Paul was saying was true and he heeded to that. And Paul says, if you do what I say, if you do, don't get in the skip. Don't, no, you guys get back into the boat. You can't get out and bail on this boat because if you go, you're going to die. And I'm saying there will not be anybody die, but the ship will be lost. And that's what happened. A Debar word can change with circumstances and depending on how you yield to it and the people around you yield to it, will change and can change what the meaning of that Debar word doesn't mean that it's not a good word. And Paul says, an angel came to him and began to talk to him. Now let me, on this very note, do a little segue for a moment. I'm going to put a pause on everything. 
On the day of Pentecost, we had 120 in the upper room. And it says that a mighty wind blew into the upper room and like cloven tongues of fire came upon them and they began to speak in tongues in glossolalia in a known language that was heard out the windows down to the people on the streets. They could hear them and they thought, oh, them people are drunk. But then others said, well, you know, I can hear them saying my, speaking my language, my particular dialect because they were there, you know, at the, at the feast of Pentecost. All people were coming from all parts of the country in there and they had differing dialects. This one heard his dialect, this one heard his dialect, this one heard his dialect. And it was like the word of God being spoken to them. But I want to go back into the upper room. What happened in the upper room? 120 are sitting there and it says cloven uh, uh, tongues of fire came upon them. And what do you, I've always wondered about that in past years. I always tried to figure out what, what, where, where's the fire at? What is the fire? Because were you sitting there and there was fire coming upon people? And I believe that in some way, in a literal way for the writer to describe it, that's exactly what he was seeing. But I want to, I want to dive a little bit deeper on this. The Bible says that he makes his angels as fire. So in the upper room, and I'm going to tell you what I, what I feel on this, is, is that the angels moved in in, in a accordance with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a very important thing to see here. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what, is what the Pentecost is all about, coming and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Endued with dunamis, which is power. There's two aspects of power. You get dunamis power, which is miracle working power, and you get authority power, which is exousia. You get two, those two different kinds of powers that are put within you. But at the beckoning or the entrance of the Holy Spirit, there is the accommodations of the angelic that come in that are represented by the fire. They show up as fire. So the connection is, is that when these men are up in that upper room, the 120 are sitting there and praising, the Holy Spirit blows in by the wind. They get filled with the Spirit of God. And what's accommodating this event is also the coming of the angelic that are coming down upon each person. And whether their arms or their arms and wings were coming around the people, boom, flames were igniting because they are angels of fire. So what does that speak to us today? That it speaks to us that, that when we move in praying in the Spirit, and you say, well, what is praying in the Spirit? We pray in another language. We pray in a language given to us by God. When we pray, uh, some say when you pray in tongues or pray in the Spirit, when you pray like that, you are communicating, the Bible says you're communicating directly with God. But what we have lost or what we have left out in the Western churches to understand, it is the activation of the angelic when you start moving into praying in the Spirit. There's something that happens and the fire of God increases on you, which is the glory presence of the angelic coming around and assisting you, those that are heirs of salvation. So that when I'm praying, when I'm praying in the Spirit, bam, I'm connected directly to God. But bam, also I have the angelic coming around me. They are being activated by my communing with God when I'm praying in such a way. So I'm, I'm going to just tell you that's just a little segue that I wanted to throw in there because of what we were talking about here. Because Paul, being on that boat, when he gave his final a speech to the people. He said, hey, no one's going to have a loss of life, but the ship's going to be lost. He says that an angel came alongside him and began talking to him. And that's where he got his information from. 
What we have to learn is, is that when you pray in the Spirit, it does open your ears up to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. It does open you up to the angel of the Lord if the angel is there talking. And it does connect and it does, and I like this word, it does activate the angelic in your life when you pray in the Holy Ghost. Now, if you, I came out of a Baptist church. Never heard such a thing until my mother was the matriarch uh, of the church, so to speak. And uh, she's the one that bought the organ that she played on in the church. And that church called me a number of years back and says, Do you want your grandma's organ? And I said, Yes, I would like to have that organ. But my grandmother was a staunch Baptist. We were all staunch Baptists. My dad said that, it, that uh, I was born a Baptist and I'm going to die a Baptist, which did not happen. That was a word to him that got changed because he got filled with the Holy Ghost. It's amazing what happens to you when you get filled with the Holy Ghost. And so, you know, my dad, you know, says, you know, I, I, I was born a Baptist. I bleed a Baptist. I'll die a Baptist. And that's not what happened. But my, my, my grandmother was the matriarch in our whole family, you know, at that time, during that day when I'm a teenager and growing up from, you know, uh, nine years old all the way up through my, you know, about 13 or 14 years old, she was the strong pillar, you know, within the church. She was a praying grandma. The thing that happened was my grandma got filled with the Holy Ghost and everything changed. It changed and redirected everything going on in our family. Now, the, some parts of the family the, uh, changed. They went on their own way and everything. But as far as our household and my dad's household, my mom's household, we became very focused on the Holy Spirit and what God was doing. And my mom and dad put the prayer meeting together in their house and miracles were happening right and left and people getting delivered and people getting filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, I had an aunt that laid on, our cousin that laid on the floor for two, maybe more hours talking to the Lord continuously through that whole time and she's going on like this. Hey, hey, Jesus, hey, over here. And she's talking to him that whole period of time. Now people say, oh, they're nuts and all that. Uh, you have to know them to know that that's not a nutty thing that they normally do. But they're walking in a wide-eyed vision. She's, she's been slain in the spirit on the floor and talking to the Lord. So do you want to interrupt that? No, I don't. Because God has something that he's doing. He's creating a moment where he's instilling into them a word very particular for them at their place. And that could be a debar word settling into them. But at some point, understand that every word that we received, I was called into the ministry when I was 12 years old, born again at nine, but called into the ministry at 12 years of age. I hadn't been filled with the Holy Ghost, but I did set in there in the way that I'm describing on the day of Pentecost. But I went into my pastor's office. His name was Brother Ryan. He was an older gentleman now. I know he's been long gone, promoted to, to heaven with the Lord, but he's a very very sincere man. And he turned to me. He had a real small desk in his office. It was the room right off of where the stage was, where the pulpit was. And he brought me in there and service wasn't going on. And I was meeting with him. And actually, I was going to talk to him about getting water baptized. And I wanted my dad to be there the night 
that I was going to get water baptized. And I had to plan it and such because my dad was an insurance agent and he would travel around to every, back then he collected everybody's premiums. He had a big book about this thick, opened it up and, and collected premiums from people. But my dad was so, he's, he was so people friendly. He would go into their house and I kind of laughed at times, dad's not here for supper. No, nope. he's at someone's house. They've already fixed dinner. He's eating over there at their house. You know, so my dad was that relational kind of person. And I wanted him to be there uh, that particular Sunday night to get water baptism, uh, water baptizing. So that's why I was talking to Brother Ryan. Brother Ryan turns to me and he says, you got the call of God on you. And that was a word of the Lord for me. It was a word of the Lord that changed everything about me because I, I, at that age I turned around and I concluded it was confirmation the Lord had put his hand upon me that he had called me. And we say into the ministry, God's called me into the work of the kingdom. And so I walked away and that was a very pivotal point in my life. That word began to establish my purpose. Up to that point I, I was going to be a doctor. A medical doctor. Up to that point, I already had it figured out. I was going to graduate from high school, go to Kansas City over there. My dad already had the doctor lined out that sat on the board over there and was going to shove me right on into there. I had it all worked out to get out of high school, and you can go to, into that particular program for six years, and, and uh, you come out as if you were coming out of college, but you come out with a medical degree. And so that was what I was going to do until I stood up after being in his office, and I stood up on a Sunday night, and they had three youth people to stand up and preach. I preached for, they said, preach 10 minutes, and I got up there and preached probably 20 or 25 minutes. And when I got done, the lady came up to me, knew my family, know her family, uh, grew up with her kids and all that. She says, I don't believe you're called into the ministry, or, or called into being a medical doctor. I think you are called into the ministry. And I said, well, yeah, probably, probably so. So there's a neck, another confirmation in my life. So everything in my life began to pivot away from what I thought and got redirected because these particular words were given to me. And one thing to what I've talked about, and I'm going to talk about it again, that probably somewhere between 87 and 88% of people that attend a church today do not know the purpose or the will of God for their life. And they're out there floundering. They're trying to make the best of what they do with what they're doing but I'm telling you, it's not the Word of God, and they are Ishmaeling it. They're working everything they can by the flesh to receive or get to that place of confirmation within their heart that they're doing what's right. It won't work that way, because I want to share just a few more things with you, you know, concerning that. And so what we find out, going back here to Psalms 105, verse 19, that the debar comes, the word of the Lord comes and gives you guidance and you start walking it out. But because of that word, that debar word, the emerald word is going to be testing you. So you're going to walk in a testing. So did I get tested in my walk with God when, because God had called me? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Right and left, did I get smacked, knocked silly back and forth, figuring, oh, should I or shouldn't I? Going through all year, several years of confusion, not, not knowing exactly what to do, trying to find my place, trying to find my position, realizing that God, there was a word given to me that was an Imra word of God that does not change. And that is the fleeting thing that most people have today is they can have a debar word and you know they're subject to, to change depending on how you respond to them. Meaning you may have received a prophetic word and they can actually change. 
by circumstances and events or how you respond to them. Because, you know, Paul on that boat with that centurion, that centurion could have yielded and ignored him the second time Paul and told Paul to shut up and, and sit down. But Paul, had he not got up and spoken the word, he would have lost his life. Because the soldiers on the boat, common practice, we're getting ready to sink, we've got to go through and kill all the prisoners. We don't want them to escape. And that was what they were getting ready to do. And that one centurion said, uh, wait a minute, guys. I, you know, there's something, I'm going to paraphrase. There's something about what Paul was saying is true. It resonates with truth. Truth always liberates and changes a situation. You can yield to your own ways and your own thoughts, but truth is truth, and you cannot get around that truth. And so this truth that had come to Paul, or from Paul, and hit the centurion, he yielded to it because he yielded to a truth. Paul's life was saved. But had not Paul responded and stood up and said, hey, all lives are going to be saved. The ship's going to be lost. All lives are going to be saved. Uh, don't get in that skip. Get back in the boat because all lives are going to be saved. Stay on the boat. Had he not done that, Paul would have been killed. That word changed initially from all lives are going to be lost to now, here's what the word of the Lord is, that they're not going to be lost. Not one life, soul is going to be lost to the seas. How do I know that? Because an angel just now came to me and told me that. And so he got a very static, Imra, word of God. Meaning that there's no changing. I mean, it's, it's very succinct. It's, very, it's, it's in line with the whole written word of God. It's in line with the situation. It's a very, very piercing word. Today, there's a spirit in this country that tries to get everybody offended at everything going on. That's why there's so much anger. It makes it violence an entry, and a, uh, entry point into people's lives. That's why you're seeing many police being killed and, and riots and, and all this because there has been this lack within our society of standing up with what is true. There's been a fabrication of truth, which is untruth. Truth will always, untruth will always have its fruits. Truth will always have its fruits. And so when you're walking in an untruth, and an untruth can be just like Paul saying, oh, I'm not going to stand up here and I'm not going to say anything. He's already rejected me once. Paul could have done that and stood, not stood up, but Paul would have lost his life because they were getting ready to kill them all. And Paul was in, in that batch of prisoners there. And so when you look at that, you realize this. God has your life in, in His hand, but it, there's a lot of, about it where you have to keep yourself in His plan. You have to keep yourself in His Word, that Imra Word. And so, yes, out here i got a Debar Word. Oh, it's comforting. It's confirmation. Oh, yes, I've been called into the ministry, but somewhere in the middle of all that, there is an emphatic, pure, refined Word of what God says. What we're good at is, is coming to an understanding of what that pure word is for us over our lives. And we come out here, oh, well, it really doesn't apply to me. I, I thought it, it, just a little bit of change in here. I know that, but I'm going to ignore that. People are ignoring basic biblical principles in their life to make room for what they want to embrace. And so what's happening is people are not going to be fulfilling the will of God. And I'm going to be a little bit more clear on that before I close. I don't have much time here. Your dream will never come to pass unless you honor God, for example, like in your finances. 
Now, people have different ideas about tithing. There is a real strong spirit to undermine a tithing principle. And people say, well, that's all Old Testament. Well, everybody knows that it existed, tithing existed well before the law was ever given to Moses, before anything was ever written about it. Then in the, the law under the Levitical priesthood, we see an order put to it. The Bible says that it is a schoolmaster. The New Testament says the Old Testament is a schoolmaster to us so that we get schooled into the place of the Spirit of God. So people need to understand there is a principle of that because it's all hard. It's a whole, it's a hard issue. Everything about that is a hard issue. Why? When people, you know, uh, uh, are asked about where your treasure is, your treasure typically is in, in monetary things or monies or whatever. And uh, that's the, the scripture talks about those kinds of treasures in people's hearts. So when you look at the principle of the tithing principle, people say, well, it's not in the New Testament. It's not in the New Testament, but let me just kind of give you a quick reference to one. This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus talking. How many of you all know his words are emphatic? His words are pure. His words are to the point. How many of you agree that his words is something you need to heed to? Absolutely. Well, listen to what he says. And if you have not been faithful in what is another's man's, who will give you your own? What is your own? Who will give you what is your own? If you're not faithful in another man's vision, who will give you your own? And so what I begin to understand, that for me to have, whether it's ministry, uh, future, destiny, all this hinges upon an emra, but we're using debars, and, and it, we are kind of halfway responding to debar words, trying to get to the objective of the emra word when we have watered down the debar kinds of words spoken to us, the prophetic words, and the thus saith the Lord's, and what, when you were reading the Bible, it, the scripture jumped all out to you, and it was a rhyme or word for that moment, and bam, it impacted me, but sometimes we discard that, because our circumstances are speaking differently, and we know that when God speaks a word, a true, pure, form word of God, we've got to listen to that, and Jesus is speaking one right now. I'm going to look over here at Matthew 23, 23. Now listen to what Jesus says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. What did the Pharisees leave undone? They left justice, mercy, and faith undone. What did the Pharisees do? They were tithes, tithers of mint and anise and cumin. And Jesus says, these things that you have left undone, the justice, the mercy, and faith, you should have done. But then he prefaced that by saying, these you ought to have done. What? Tithe of mint and anise and uh, uh, cumin. You should have done these things. You ought to have done these things. But you also need to pay attention and combine it with justice, mercy, and faith. That means you need to have your heart involved with what you're doing. Yes, you were supposed to do that. But you are leaving out in a very critical aspect because actually tithing goes back. It is a heart issue. In the New Testament, it is an honoring principle. You honor somebody by tithing. You disrespect and honor by not. Unless that 
Mammon's spirit has such a grip that won't let you go down that road. Now, I share that because I'm telling it to everybody. I'm not here to offend anybody. But I'm, not, I'm telling you what the Imra word of God is on that matter. Now, that's an example of an Imra word. I gave you an Imra word, thou shalt not kill. Because it's written in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not have other gods before me. It's written in the Ten Commandments. But then out of the voice of Jesus' mouth, he establishes an Imra word that you cannot dilute it down. And many places today are diluting that because they don't want to offend people. Would you want to offend somebody if God says, if they're telling you, yeah, you need to go ahead and kill them? Uh, I'm not going to do it. Oh, we don't want to offend them. No, it's an Imra word that says, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt honor your father and mother, so it will go well with you and you'll live long days upon the earth. That dishonoring feature is built into the Ten Commandments. That dis or honoring feature is built into the Ten Commandments by honoring mom and dad or those of authority. We see that picked up in the New Testament. Your children need to be taught how to honor. If they're never taught how to honor, they'll never have any respect for anybody of authority of God. They will never, now let me, let me be very emphatic with you. If this younger generation is not taught how to honor, they will never fulfill the will of God for over their life. You will never reach your destiny without being fully obedient to this book, the Bible. Dreams never happen unless you operate your future through the honoring principle. So you, if you are not honoring, you're not going to have any dreams. You can work it. You can make flesh things happen. You can do this and you can do that. But in the mix of all that, these things pass away. These things will pass away. Your house will not be going with you when you transition from here to the other side. Your car won't be going with you. Your bank account won't be going with you. And so the, the relevancy of our heart issue, and that's why that, that Joseph, you know, is being tested. And with a Debar word given to him, I'm supposed to do this, it is being tested by the Imra word, and every word of God will be tested that is in your life. And the word of God is, thou shalt not kill. You may be challenged in that when someone says, well, it's okay, you know, about abortion. See what it makes you begin to do, how it makes you to compromise. The spirit of the world will cause you to compromise. Let me say this. If you compromise on one place in the Word of God, you'll compromise in other places. Oh, I believe in all that stuff, but, you know, when it comes to abortion, you know, uh, you know there's certain situations, and, and, and I understand all that. I understand there's physical things that just can't happen. That's where we need to begin praying and let God, you know, move in and things begin to happen. I had a conversation with somebody, and I fully understood, you know, about there's times when pregnancies cannot come to full turn and, and other things, there's no physical way. There has to be an intervention, a miracle of God that has to happen for a baby to be born. And I'm not off of that page, but there's different situations. But go in there and to kill a baby, I'm not on that page. Sure. Bible says he knew them before they were formed sure. in the womb. I need a big amen on that one. Yeah. That is an emerald word of God. You cannot change that. So if you're having struggles with your future, if you're having financial problems, then I ask you to consider... How are you in the honoring principle? Are you honoring or not? 
But that's not only just in the honoring principle, or excuse me, in the, in the financial realm. If families are just having problems, if families are having difficulties and challenges, you need to go back to the core principles of what honoring is. And, and you have to teach your children. The thing I really like, I was talking with Andrew the other day. And Andrew says, you know, I'm teaching uh, Zach and Christian and Hannah that when I give them something, uh, they, have, they have to tithe off of that. I'm teaching my young children how to tithe. And so, and I, and I notice, uh, you know, when they do the book works and stuff, that uh, 50 cents or a quarter are given because what they're doing is they're tithing off of what gives to, they're giving to them in their life. Now, what I know is if they carry that through, knowing that that is an Emra kind of word, is an Emra word established by Jesus' own mouth, that their destiny and their future is more secured and they'll be more on point with following through with God than if they do not learn that principle. Because I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care what kind of abilities that you have. If you have not the honoring principle built into the younger generation, when they get older, they will depart from it. You can count on that. Every child that's not taught about the principles of God will fall away in their own likings and doings later on. You think, well, I'm trying to do my best. No, you lead by example. Every parent here is an example to the next generation. I stand before you as an example. One of the biggest reasons years ago, and I had a, a Rennie McLean is in here, a black pastor or black minister came in and ministered. And the Lord says, I want you to start videotaping everything. And I thought, I, we don't have the money for video cameras. Yeah, but you need to record everything for the next generation so they'll have something they can reference of what was said and what was taught. Your, building, your life is building an archive of experiences for the younger generations to live by and can look at. Oh, there's Grandma and Grandpa. Look what they did. I remember what they did. I knew what they stood for. I see it resonating and it builds strength in me. See, I reflect on my own grandmother. I told you she was a, a matriarch in the church. I, ref, I look back on her, and then I remember going over her house, and it kind of blew me away. She's sitting there praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen. You talk about something that's life-changing to me, an example of her who lost her husband when he was 42 years old, never saw my grandfather. He died during the war, and my father and uncle were at in the war, in the Pacific, being shot at. They got in a skiff, and they got to be able to meet each other. For, it's been a long time, and they, they were you know, getting together and saying, hey, how you doing? And then a plane came and started uh, shooting down in the water right at them, and they both dove in the bottom of the boat, and the, and the plane came right over the top of them, and not a one of them were hurt. I'm, a here, I'm here because of, that's a testimony of God's protection over the life. My grandma was a... Praying grandmother. She prayed, prayed, prayed fervently. But my grandfather, because of the stress and stuff, died of a heart attack at the age of 42. So let me say, it's very important what moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas do because you're setting the course for the next generation. And here's what I want you to see clearly. If, the, if this younger generation does not understand honoring, they will be useless to God. It's a pretty emphatic statement, but they will not be used of God. 
Let me put it another way, and let me tell you, God is a merciful God. He'll come at you, and he will help you along. If you're ignoring, he'll come back again. If you're ignoring, he'll come back again. Then he'll send the Holy Spirit down, and, and you, you say, I don't want to go that way. And the Holy Spirit backs up and says, recalculating, recalculating, and then comes at you again. So God's a merciful God. Can you say amen? I mean, he'll work with, with you, you know, to the nth degree, but you have a responsibility to set the future and destiny of these kids and children because everything that depends from this point on depends on how you represent yourself and whether you are representing a true, pure form of a word of God, an Emra-type word, or are you manipulating it to fit your lifestyle and what you want and what you desire in life? What you're afraid to acknowledge what you are afraid to confront is the monster that's going to jump at you down the road and it's going to eat your lunch. Amen. Well, let me just, let me close this. I, I, I went a little bit long. I danced around that a little bit longer than what I had wanted to do. But let me just say this. A spoken word will be tested by God. But yes, we are to speak words. And that's why you've got to be built into the body of Christ. So that there are words that will be generated. I mean, words are rolling over me for the next generation to speak to them individually. And when that time presents itself, I will deliver prophetic words to those, the, the younger generations. Why? Because they need to find their purpose. I just like Brother Ryan stood up and says, you've been called by God. He, and he looked at me. He was a bald-headed older, white-haired man, very elder, but he turned around and he says, you've been called by God. That change radically changed my life. That word spoken over me radically changed me. But then I knew I had to follow the principles of what God's word says, and God has always kept me grafted very close to what the word instructs. And so if I'm going to raise another generation, then you parents are going to have to put the word of the Lord in your mouth and speak it over your generations that are following behind you. That means that you need to speak the word of the Lord. Quit letting the spirit of the world dictate to them what they're going to decide in the world, in ministry, because many people are allowing the world to dictate to them how they're going to follow through with what God's assigned to them. Everything comes down literally. It comes down from the previous generations. Get that in you. Everything that happens to your kids will come down through you. They'll inherit the blessings of God by way of you. That's why I reference in times, just as of late, you know, I prayed for the opportunity for a previous generation to lay their hands on me and, and prophesy over me. And I prayed for that opportunity with Oral Roberts and that was, that was given to us. And I shared that many times. Many of you all know that. But just to, just to highlight it, you know, the door was open. We were able to go. We flew out to California, went into his house. There were three couples, four couples, including Deb and I, Rachel and Josh. And what I valued, if I wanted to walk away from anything, I wanted that from a previous generation to be put upon us and so it would pass on down to our generation and the next generation. And because of my honoring principle, because I honored him, because I was conversing with him. Because of that honoring principle, it opened the door to that. So we sit in the living room for five hours, six hours that afternoon. He's about six foot two, six foot three, stood up there, and I had to look at him like this. He came right in front of me, and he says, I'm so glad to see you. And he wanted to know everything going on in our lives. And he, he was so interested 
in what was happening with our families and churches and ministries. And during that end of all that, he sat with every couple, every person in there, took the entire afternoon. You've got to understand, he's 89, 90, he's 90 years old at that time. And he, we sat down uh, individually. He said, just like he, he were in the crusades and he'd have people come by and he'd be sitting on a chair. He was in a real comfortable chair and there was two Ottomans in front. So Rachel sat right there and Josh sat right there and I stood back there and I videotaped it with the camera because I was, I was recording the future destinies of what was going to happen. And so he, he asked me, so what would you like for me to pray for? He prayed for each one of them. Then Deb and I took our turn sitting down in front of him and he asked us the same thing. And I said, there's only one thing I want. There's only one thing I want. I want to be commissioned. And so he put his hands on me and he commissioned me into the work of the ministry, into the work of Jesus Christ. You come up to me and give me a thousand, uh, give me a million dollars for that experience, you keep your money. Why? Because what I did, and I continue, I do that with my earthly father, who is also my apostle, my pastor and apostle. I honored him when he died. I made sure on his, his uh, thing there at the cemetery, it says, mighty man of God. That was the way that I was expressing my gratitude and my honor to my dad. Honor is the most important thing. And so it's very important to me. That's why when Pastor Johnny came here, you know, it was in, it was in my heart. I said, Pastor Johnny, uh, you're welcome to come and, and be part of the church. And uh, I put him on, on salary here. Uh, the church supported him uh, and Gene. And I said, here, I want you, there's a lot of things you may want to do. You don't have to do anything. But you be here because you're an older generation, a little bit older than me. And I want to, I, I told him this. I said, I have to find somebody to honor. And so he came in and I honored him by, uh, through the church by giving him, you know, a, a salary, an income. And so I did that. I said, you, you can have an office here. You don't have to have an office here. You can come here, you know, as we got work hours, or you don't have to come in here. You come in here and do what you want to do. You don't have to do anything. I'm not here having you, paying you to do something. I'm here honoring you for what you represent to me. I have to have that honoring principle always in place. But then I've got to come around. You see, you see Rachel and Andrew, you see Josh and and Dakota, and I'm pouring into them. And the other day I told Josh, I said, you were named Joshua because you're going to take, thing, you're going to take another generation where, to a place that I can never go. And that's why you were named Joshua. And I'm telling you now, there's a prophetic word on you to do that. I turned to Andrew and, and Rachel, and I says, God has caused you to, to bridge between gaps of generations here, and God's raising you up and anointing you for such a time. And so both of them have a distinct calling on them, but I begin to identify that, and I begin to speak it over them. If you don't do those kinds of things, those debar kinds of words to where they come to that Imra word of God that I have been called, there ain't nothing that from hell that can stop me, then you'll understand how you change a generation. The responsibility is on you. Moms and dad, here, here's, here is the trap of the enemy. Here's the trap of the devil. Uh, it will get you to think, well, I don't want to offend my kids if I say to them what I feel the Lord is saying to me about them. 
I don't want to affect them. Well, I want to tell you what, if you don't deliver that word over them, they're going to go down the road. The enemy's going to take them. He's going to, he's going, they're going to be tested, but they're going to be tried and taken places that they don't need to be at or go because they never got that true word from you that you should have delivered to them. Moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas are afraid to offend them because they want to be friends with them. No, you need to understand, you're, you're the one that's going to release the future into their life, the one that is a carrier of their generations beyond themselves. You're the one that is a carrier of their destiny and their future, and you know exactly what they're supposed to do. So it's just a word of encouragement today. Stand with me this morning. Dreams will never happen unless you operate your future through the honoring principle. Our children's children will never embrace the dreams that God has created them for unless they learn to understand the honoring principle. And I want to encourage each one of you here to train your children, train your grandchildren. More than that, this church needs to begin speaking to one another with words of edification, comfort, and exhortation. Why? Because people need that Dabar kind of word to help direct them in what they're doing. All is not lost. All is not lost. And God's got a great future. But see, they need to hear words like that in the context of, thus saith the Lord. Last Sunday I alluded that if, unless you've got the gift of celibacy, God has got you to be married. There's a purpose for that. But I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of deception that goes on in this arena. That's why it's necessary to deliver the word of the Lord for this younger generation. Everything God has, He's got it planned out. He's a good God. He delivers good gifts. He has an assignment and calling upon your life. But then he wants to make sure your character has been challenged. And I'm going to tell you what, every person in here has had your character challenged. Where's your loyalties at? You know, it's easy to lose focus of where we're supposed to be at, what we're supposed to do. Because it connects with that honoring principle. How do you... How do you handle one that you're honoring? How do I handle Pastor Johnny when he was still alive? I had a minister come, and I'm, I got these stories coming. I know I've got to cut off, and I normally cut off before this. You just allow me a little bit more time. I appreciate it. I had a visiting minister, older man. I'm not going to say his name. We were over at the hotel. He was ministering here, and... and uh, he says, I, I, I just feel like I need to, to tell you, I need someone to confess to. And I says, okay, I'm, I'm a whole lot younger. And he says, I, you know, there was a time in my life that I had an, had an affair. And I said, hey, God forgives. We pick up, we move on, and you got a great future. What the enemy was doing in his younger years because of that happening was trying to steal his longevity and his future of ministry. He got to a place he just was not sure about his future from a past. And he come to somebody like me, and what did somebody like me say? 
Brother, you got a future. God's got great things for you. And God has promised. And he told me what God promised him. But he was questioning because of his past. I said, God's going to fulfill that dream in you. And you're going to get to where God's called you to be. And everything's good. God's forgiven. It's a thing of the past. Release it and let it go. We got to do the same thing with these kids because they're being shackled up with all kinds of trash, all kinds of ideas and ideologies and genders. All kinds of genders. We need to speak the word of the Lord during this time. Amen. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for blessing these people. I thank you for those that are watching. Lord, I praise you. I lift up your name above every other name. I lift up the name of Yahweh. I lift up the name of Yahshua, Jesus. I lift your names up today, just like I did this morning. I lifted, I bowed before you and I worshiped you. And I lift up your name and I stand behind that. And that is a place I will not move from. I will bow no knee to any other kind of God other than you. Lord, I thank you that this house are people resonating with your word. And Lord, bring that word, that strong word of the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit blow in. And when we begin to pray and begin to lift up in your name, the angels will come and will get baptized with the Holy Ghost and with angelic fire. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. I praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you need any prayer, whatever it is, come on down here to the front. There'll be people here that will pray with you. Pray with you. If you out there are watching, email us and let us know. We will pray. We will reach back out to you. Admin at rocketcape.com. We have a lot of people at various times watch this and, and come in line. We pray for all those today that the Spirit of the Lord will visit your household, that you'll come to know who Jesus Christ is as your Lord and Savior. Receive Him in your heart. And the Bible says, if you believe in Him as the Lord and Savior, you will be saved. So we thank you, Lord, for all those today. With that, turn to your people around you and say, man, you're a blessing to me. I got a good word for you. I just love you with the love of the Lord. And uh, you can be released this morning. You want prayer? Come on down here in the front. We'll have people down here to assist you in that today.